listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, take your Bible and open up with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is quite possibly the most confusing yet clarifying books in all of the Bible. It's rattling because of verses like the verse that we're going to see here today, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Does that sound right to you? Does it sound like it's coming from the Bible? I mean, this is coming off of last week where the main point of the text was eat, drink, and be merry. So this is the series we're in. And uh, this is really why religious people, a lot of times, when they, when they look at this book of Ecclesiastes, they just they don't like it. They don't understand it, and they don't like it. It shatters our neat and tidy concepts of the way life is supposed to work. And as we've discussed a couple different times throughout the series, the more ordered and structured and disciplined you are, the less likely you are to really enjoy this book and understand this book. But as we've all been seeing, the deeper that you dig in, the more you appreciate the full perspective on the gritty realities of life under the sun that we are seeing unfold before us in Ecclesiastes. Now, this series is winding down. We have two more weeks. We've got two more chapters, two more weeks. Uh, I've really found myself enjoying this book way more than I even expected that I would. You know, most of you know this, but I grew up in church my entire life. When I was around college, you know, some, somewhere in there, I think my sophomore year at college, maybe the summer before my sophomore year, I got a little fascinated with Ecclesiastes, took a good, good look at it myself. And I had the, you know, the three points in the big picture nailed down. I was like, all right, I get this. This is who Solomon is. This is what he did. He experimented. He went all over the place to try to find happiness and pleasure. He found out you cannot have it. So I had like the big picture view of Ecclesiastes, and I love that. You could preach that in one message, right? But I had never really fully dove in deep to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, into all the psychological waves that Ecclesiastes offers. And this has been a great study for all of us. And as far as most Christians go, most Christians haven't gone as deep into it as we have in this series. And we're learning things that that often Christians overlook. So we've been forced to linger on some ideas and some concepts that don't always get a lot of run inside the church. But it's a really good thing because... Life doesn't always work out the way Solomon describes it in Proverbs, right? And good things don't always seem to come to those who wait, at least for a long time. You have to wait a really, really long time, right? Sometimes the bad guy gets away. At least it seems like that under the sun here. And sometimes things that are out of your control just go haywire. And there's really 
nothing that you can do about it despite your best intentions. And Solomon has gone there on all of those points. So this morning, we're looking at chapter 10. We're looking at verses like this, verse 19. And I would say this is the final dark chapter of the book. Um, Batman would say, you know, the the night is darkest just before the dawn, right? Uh, That's what we're going to have here in chapter 10. But we have chapters 11 and 12 awaiting us. A beautiful sunrise is coming. But before we get there, it's one last stroll through the streets of what you could call Gotham City here, all right? Because I'm calling this message a catalog of foolishness. And if, for those of you who've been here all along, you'll remember in chapter four, I preached a message called The Catalog of Loneliness, where we saw the description of all the different types of lonely people. And that was really the beginning of this middle section. This is the end of the middle section of Ecclesiastes. And um, I don't know if this sounds interesting to you or not, The Catalog of Foolishness, But here's why it matters. Because you don't need to live your life like all the rest of the fools around you. You don't want to do that. And we've heard this stuff before from Solomon, but Solomon doesn't know how to just say something once. It's like like he's a parent or something, okay? Like he has to say it five times, five different ways for it to sink in for all of us. And... uh, Honestly, this is, this is going to be very helpful because it's the way we can separate ourselves from the pack. It's to identify what a fool is, understand their motivations, know where they're headed before they even do. And the first step, of course, the last introductory piece here, there's a lot of introduction today, but the, the, the first thing that I want you to remember is Solomon has already established that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Lord, the fear of the Lord. So that's been previously set in stone. That is the beginning of wisdom. When you fear the Lord, you revere him as holy, you trust him and you desire to obey him because you respect and honor who God is. And we just did that this morning already. We sang some amazing songs about the love of God, about the justice of God. Like that is the fear of the Lord. Um, And when you fear the Lord, you're not gonna be enamored with fools. You actually begin to pity them and you do not want to be them. So that's where we're picking it up. And let's now, in the catalog of foolishness, look at the capstone of, of, of the darkest of the night and, uh, and follow along with me as I read verses one through three. So this isn't just for you to feel good about yourself and, and by, by looking at all, all of the fools around you. This is to actually self-identify what do I need to work on? Do I have any remnants of foolishness that are still in my life? Or, or am I just an absolute fool right now and I need to, I need to wake up? You know, that, that could be the case too. But look at verses one through three to start. Dead flies make the perf- perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks in the road, he lacks sense And he says to everyone that he is a fool. First first point today, number one, is fools on the street. All right? You walk down the street, you're surrounded by fools most of the time. Most places you go. that, That is the world that we live in. And it's pretty much always been that way. Uh, Because if you don't fear the Lord... 
you don't have wisdom. You can start with that. But look at this first verse. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. What this is teaching is that even just a little folly is going to cause a foul. Even just a little bit. Get the perfumer over here making the scent that smells really good, but there's some dead flies in the area. Uh, good for him. Kill those flies. Great. But didn't do the job and finish it and clean those, that, that mess up, right? And that is going to ruin the whole batch, all of the work that he did. You can do a lot of things right in your life. This is a hard message to hear, okay? Just think about this. You can work hard. You can save money. You can win friends. You can influence people. You can become successful, build a big house. And at the same time, you allow one besetting sin. You allow one passion to get out of line where it becomes an addiction. You can have one mistake creep into your life, take over, and before you know it, your life is turned upside down. Whether this is with lust and, and making a foolish decision if you're married. What, I mean, you could go a thousand different directions with this. I, uh, but it's a warning for all of us. I was reading this week about a soccer player. Those, a lot of you know I follow soccer. There's a guy named Sandro Tonali. He plays, uh, he's actually playing in England now at Newcastle, but he, last year he was in AC Milan. He's an Italian guy. He's 23 years old, really good soccer player. He's really smart on the field. He's fast. He's strong. He can zip a pass wherever he wants to go. Great player. Just signed for 90 million euros. Well, he, had, he admitted this week that he's addicted to gambling and that he was gambling on his former team when he played for his team. So he's facing a huge ban now. And then two of his other friends, all these Italian soccer players, are all addicted to gambling. I mean, they've worked so hard. Think about how much he sacrificed to be at the top level of a professional sport like that. Yet now it's just, oh yeah, he gambled. And he wasn't even throwing games, but he just had a gambling addiction. There is a lot of things that you can do correct, yet foolishly screw it all up. Now, I'm talking about you right now, under the sun, all right? We have to, we, I mean, spoiler alert, we have to look up. We have to look beyond the sun. We have to walk in the spirit, one of the things that we sang about uh, today already. But... It's so important to understand that even a little mistake, if it's not addressed and it's not corrected, it can lead you to a place that, where you never, ever want to go. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So are you hiding anything? One other, one other illustration I'll say, or one other point I'll make on this is Solomon has mentioned wine a few times recently. You know, we've... we've We've mentioned it, right? Because we're just going through this book. We're going to see it again at the end of this chapter. Um, but I feel like I should say Solomon isn't endorsing getting buzzed to take off the edge of, off of life. He's not doing that. Uh, alcohol isn't something to joke around with or play around with and be foolish with. 
It's a foolish thing to think. Alcohol has the potential to destroy your life. And I'm not going to sit here and say that the Bible makes a, uh, a case for 100% complete abstinence. But God loves you. And when he gives you a warning, and when he says, don't get drunk with wine, he's saying that to protect you. It's not so you don't have fun. When God says no, he means don't hurt yourself, right? And I thought I would just remind us all of that. Uh, one bad night can ruin your life. A dangerous habit can grow into something that you never imagined it would. So as we're all living our life, rubbing our shoulders with fools because there's nothing else we can do, um, it doesn't always look the way it actually is under the surface. Many times things on the surface don't accurately, accurately reflect what's going on underneath in someone's heart. Sometimes it's obvious when you're talking with a the fool, they open their mouth and they share it. Other times it's not, as, as this passage is, is pointing out. Some people just walk down the road shouting to anyone and everything within earshot that they are a fool, just like chapter 3 says. In the last couple of weeks, it's been very apparent how brainwashed people can be when you just listen to them defend Hamas and, and their wicked and evil attack on Israel. Educated people in our country all across our country in Europe saying ridiculous things like Israel brought on the murdering of babies and the, and the atrocities done to women. They deserved it they, because they're the oppressor. They're, they're taking this land that's not theirs. I mean, and then you just have to point out, well, how far back are we going to go in history here? Like, how far back do you want to go, right? Um, that's, a, that's a whole other point for another day. But listening to people try to defend wicked, murderous people who would actually take their head off if they could is, is just the epitome of foolishness. And yet we hear it all the time. So how does something like that happen? How do people get to that point where they feel so strongly about something, yet they're so wrong, but they think you're the fool because you don't believe like them? How does something like that happen? I mean, a lot of reasons, and we're not going to get into all of them today, but if you really want to trace it back, it goes back to the evil, twisted elites who have polluted the education system, who have hijacked the media, who have been engaged in like a hundred year long game of the long game of lacing this world with half truths that resonate with your feelings of justice. We all have that feeling for justice. And, and there are wicked people who've been playing this game for a very, very long time to get to this place where a lot of people are just clueless about it. God calls the wisdom of this world foolishness. And if you know Jesus Christ, you, can, you know wisdom. <laughs> it's that simple. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know true wisdom. So, so in the second point here, I want to talk about this a little bit more. There aren't just stupid fools on the street. There, there are plenty of those. But there are also very brilliant fools who have a very high IQ. There are masterminds at the top. And this is point number two, fools at the top. Look at verse four. 
If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Sometimes you do get a clown in a high position of authority. That does happen. Other times, you know what? It's not just because they, they, played, this, they played the system right for a really, really long time and they got rewarded. Sometimes they truly are brilliant and conniving and cunning and they've worked their way up to the top because they are smarter than the next guy but they're still a fool because they don't know Jesus and they're living for themselves. At the end of the day, they want to have the praise heaped upon themselves. At the end of the day, they like the power and the authority that comes with the title and the position. And they're not there to serve the people underneath them. They're there for those people to pump them up. Okay, this is... This is the foolishness of the world because we know where it's headed. You see where it goes. It's so fleeting and, and they have to work so hard to grasp onto it. Then they have to work so hard to not let it go. But they legitimately think they know better. They are foolish. They're just not stupid. They're more evil than slow. And that's why as a Christian in the 21st century, we can talk about this, all right? We need to talk about this. It's why you need to wake up and realize that there are evil people at the top. For far too long, Christians have just excused things away. You know what? They're not that bad. Misguided, sure. But look, they're nice. They smile. They, they have a nice suit on. They're, they're talking about helping people. You know, they create agencies with nice titles like Planned Parenthood. And I mean, I could give you 10 other titles, but I, I, I don't want to like distract you right now from the main thing, that, the main point that I'm trying to teach. They use a really nice title, a nice agency. It sounds like it's going to help people. The people at the top are evil. Okay? I'm not saying every single person who works there is is ruthlessly evil. Some of those people are, are completely conned and snowed and they don't realize what they're really doing. They think they're doing a good thing. That, that is foolish. That is, that is happening. But there are evil people at the top. And we need as Christians not to keep our head in the sands about that. But I say all that to say, what can you do about it? What can you do about it? For far too long... And this is a little side trail that we're on, but, but we may as well take it. For far too long, Christians can have the mindset that, hey, you know what? This world is messed up. There's evil people in the world. I know it. So I'm just going to have my Christian friends. I'm going to raise my family. I'm going to be as, uh, as separate from the world as I possibly can. And I'm going to let them just go to, well, I'm just going to let them do their thing. Okay. And I'm going to, you know what, you saw where I was going with that, right? Uh, and I am going to live my life in my amazing Christian bubble over here. And so you have a lot of Christians who, 
I mean, good people, they, they get into the business sector, the private business sector. They're really successful with that because they're not doing things foolishly, right? They're making wise decisions. They're, they're doing well. And, and great, they're giving money to missions. Let's send people overseas. Great. You, all these things are good. But they've missed, wait, I actually need to be a salt and a light right here in my Jerusalem, Right? So Christians haven't been as engaged in local politics, let alone national politics. And what happens when that's the case? When we just step by, oh man, you know, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse anyway, so I just won't even worry about it. Well, you're not loving your neighbor there. <laughs> you're not handing off something to your child and your, and your children's children's generation, like we're told to do. So you're missing the fact that you should be engaged civically and publicly. We, we need more Christians in public schools. I'm so thankful we have Christian public school teachers in this church. It's amazing. We need Christians in all these facets of society because when we just let go and say like, oh, I'm going to go over here and do my thing, who fills the vacuum? Who fills that void? It's the evil, foolish people that do. And then everyone suffers. So yes, we can understand. You can have your own end times uh, theology. Great. Go for it. I certainly do. But we can't miss the truth that we should be engaged in loving our neighbor and loving our city and doing what we can do to make our culture better. That's still an important piece of loving your neighbor and being a Christ follower. Now let's steer it back uh, to verse four, back to the immediate text here. Um, Stay calm, you know, this isn't so, I also don't want you to panic and freak out. Oh, the government is evil. They hate us. They're bad. You know, like, no, calm down. It's okay. It's always been that way. Nothing has changed. It's, it's literally always been that way. Christians, we, we, we have King Jesus. You know, we, we also love our nation. We, thankfully, we're in a great nation compared to any other nation throughout the history of the world. Um, let's, let's try to keep it that way the best we can, right? Let's not freak out and worry. Just be realistic about what's out there. That's all I'm saying. Um, so yes, the evil at the top, they think they're God. They think they know better. Don't be fooled by their appearance. Don't be fooled by their cleverly devised acronyms either. And lest you think you can just live your simple life and get away from it all, don't kid yourself. It's everywhere you go, right? Here's the next point, number three. Fools in the workplace. Some of you are like, oh yeah, David, I already knew that. You don't have to. Do we even have to go here? Do you even have to remind me of the knucklehead that I work with? Yeah, he's in the text too. All right, verse eight. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and the one who does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now, these verses are very important. Solomon is telling it like it is. And we are in a heavy section of the book. I mean, you, you feel that from what we've just talked about. But what he's doing, uh, doing here is really great because he's reminding us 
that no one gets away with this stuff. Uh, They're not going to get away with it in the end. Um, He who digs a pit will fall into it. Eventually, you know what? They... They connived. They figured out a way to get there to the top. You know, they laid all these traps for other people. One of these days, they're, they're going to forget that trap that they set, and they're going to fall into it themselves. You know, what goes around comes around. <laughs> the serpent will bite him who breaks in through a wall. Can you imagine that? What a picture that is. Like, right? I'm just going to break in here. I'm going to take what I can get. You know, I don't care about anybody else. I'm just going to, I'm going to get this for myself. So I'm going to break into this wall and, oh, ow, oh, my hand is bit by a snake. Like when people are ruthlessly going after theirs and getting theirs, like eventually they get bitten. All right. So that's what he's saying. And this is, so this is talking about more than just finding idiots at, at work. What this is saying is if you play with dynamite long enough, you're going to blow yourself up. And yeah, when you work hard, you know, use the right tools. I mean, here's some wisdom for you, just some, some basic, basic wise words, right? Like use a sharp tool so you don't have to work harder. Keep it in good shape and it'll, it'll go a lot easier for you. But also, let's really get practical here for a second. Be good to your employees, Treat people well. If you treat your employees horribly, you're not going to keep good employees. Complaining in a work atmosphere creates a miserable work atmosphere. If you let that go on where you have a culture of everybody just complaining and always whining about stuff, it's going to create a very negative tone, whether that's in school or whether that's in your home even. In an overbearing, micromanaging shift supervisor creates a stressed and tight crew, an annoyed crew. But when you gun for the top, you take no prisoners, you have that approach, you're only looking out for number one, eventually you're going to be the target. That's very clear in this text. So if you want to have people work hard in your business, in your company, treat people with respect. There's just some, some simple proverbial wisdom that Solomon is giving us in this. You want somebody to care about their work and take pride in their work? Well, raise the bar of the workplace environment. Basic wisdom. And don't be surprised when the person who dug the pit eventually falls flat on their face in the culture that they created People don't get away with foolishness. Foolishness always has consequences. But there is a way to identify foolishness. It's, as I said before, it's not always readily apparent. But if you listen closely to how people talk and what they say, the words of their mouth will reveal the heart, which is where we're going in the next few verses. Number four, fools opening their mouths. So look at verse 12 with me as we just continue to work through this chapter. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. If they begin with foolishness, eventually it's going it's to go down into 
into madness. It's going to descend into madness. A fool, verse 14, multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. You know the people who are just always talking like they know exactly what's going to happen? They just know it all, like, and they keep going on and on and on. Like, it's like they have it all figured out, and they're telling you what is going to happen. Eh, no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Notice, notice how it says the be, in the beginning it starts with foolishness. And how does it end in verse 13? Evil madness. It never ends well. And here are the final words that Solomon says about fools. Verse 16, look at it with me. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. This is the fool's end, number five. Woe to the land when your king is a child. You know, this makes me think of a lot of different things, but I'm just going to let that sit with you for a minute. When you have rulers and leaders who are acting like children, who are not in it for the right reasons, who are not in it to sacrifice and, 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 and build up good, they're, they're childlike. It's what's in it for me. That doesn't just affect the top, but that trickles all the way down. Woe to the land. When we have leaders like that, it affects everyone else. It just trickles down. Woe indeed when your princes feast in the morning. What is that talking about? It's frivolous extravagance, extravagance, right? Like, why would you be feasting in the morning? Morning is the time to wake up, to get going, to get to work, to accomplish things, right? There is a time and place. Solomon even mentions it here. There is, there is a proper time to have a feast. You know, when, when the job is done and something is accomplished, celebrate that. Absolutely. Great. But if you're just feasting in the morning, is all you're living for is the experience and the extravagance of it all? It's a very foolish thing because eventually the money's going to run dry and you're going, to have, you're going to have fewer and fewer people to take advantage of and it's going to all come crumbling down like a house of cards. When the powerful live it up and gorge themselves every morning while the little guys are slaving away, it leads to disaster. Foolish leadership never gets the results that they want, lasting results. And yes, there is a time to celebrate. There's a time to honor bravery, to inspire boldness. But it's not for drunkenness. It's not for the sake of just like, let's get high. Let's forget all of our problems. Let's just let it roll off our shoulders. Let's just have a good time. That's not the point. That's not, the, that's not a legitimate reason to have a feast and to, and to have a celebration. 
And he's saying it's, it's very foolish to think that way. And he's saying here, if you don't take care of your house, the leaks are going to come, the roof is going to sink in, right? This is where that leads. Whether it's a business you're running, whether it's a family and a home that you're leading, whether, whether, whatever it is, whatever it is, like if you don't take care and constantly maintain it, it's going to fall apart. It's going to corrode. Now, that's what Solomon is talking about. He's talking about more than your house. But that's the first 18 verses. And that was the walk through Gotham City. That was the darkness of the, of, of the night right there, of foolishness, the catalog of foolishness. But we have two verses left, and we have finally arrived to the to the place that uh, we started, verse 19, the verse that I pointed out from the very beginning. Look at, look at these last two verses with me. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, this is another one of those verses where people just shake their head and look at Solomon like he's a fool. There's religious people who do that. They'll take that approach. We can't really believe everything Solomon says in this whole book because there's times where he says things like this that are just really, really bad and they don't make any sense uh, biblically. So Solomon can't possibly be wise. He must be a fool. And yeah, there's some good parts interspersed where the narrator helps us out, the beginning and the end, says some good things about wisdom, but it's not all Solomon. This is Solomon at the end of his life, and he's a wreck. That's an approach some people take to the book, not the approach that I take to the book. Uh, I, and I've, we go over this almost every week. But I don't think Solomon is just spouting off nonsense here. If you want to go ultra-literal... No, bread is not made for laughter. Some translations will say feast there. That makes more sense. You know, next line, wine gladdens life. Okay, <laughs> I guess, as long as you don't drink too much wine um, because you can drink your life away. But the real kicker here is the third line, money answers everything. Solomon, 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 what is going on? What are you talking about? You're wrong, Solomon. Yes, but you know what I find unbelievable is how many overly spiritual people, they look down on Solomon, they concoct this idea that this book is man's wisdom and Solomon was just living a tragedy. This is another example of why we can't take this book at face value. But just step back and think about it. What, why would Solomon actually say what you think he's saying here? It doesn't fit anywhere with what he said throughout this whole chapter, throughout this whole book. Solomon has already told us that riches are vanity. He's already made that very clear. And that means vanity, that word vanity means empty. I'd reach out and grab it and I just, it's like my hand goes through the cloud, through a little vapor. That's what he's told us. So here's some free Biblical interpretation, when you come across something that doesn't seem to line up, like when you're reading the Bible yourself and you don't know what it means, it doesn't seem to make sense, 
seems to be contradictory, what do you do? You look at the whole context. I know you've probably heard this before, but let's say it again. You have to put it in context. You can't rip verses out of context. Foolish people do that. So Solomon can't just be making this point after all of this that money, money is the answer to everything. What he's saying is, in this, in this verse, all three of these lines, is that foolish people miss out. Their house of cards leaks and the roof starts sinking in. In the end, they don't make it to the feast. They don't. And he's pointing out that God, and this is a very similar theme to what we've heard all along the last few weeks. God in his good grace, is, is, he wants to bless you. He has blessings for you that are awaiting you when you make the right choices, when you follow him. It's there and he wants you to enjoy your life. God is a God who gives us all things richly to enjoy as, as 1 Timothy 6 says. The enjoyment of food, not the gluttony. The enjoyment of fidelity within the framework of, a, of, a, of marriage, not sexual immorality. The enjoyment of laying up our resources and treasures in heaven rather than just amassing things on earth. If you follow wise principles with your resources, you will reap the benefits. It's, it's that simple. I mean, we're talk, let's, let's just talk about that for a quick second. I mean, you, can, you know how you can be successful financially? The, the, the number one thing that you need to do to be successful financially is graduate from school, get a job, and then wait to have kids until after you're married. I mean, that is, any, anybody can tell you that. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to actually believe that because it's a fact. There's been countless studies done. You just follow that simple formula, you will be more successful financially. That's also biblical because it's, Wisdom from above. Follow that order and, and, and you'll be a lot better off. But getting back to this, right? What Solomon is teaching is when you make foolish choices and you live for yourself and you go your own way and you feel like you can achieve your dream and just ignore God, in the end, you don't make it to the feast. You don't. And so God has blessings for you. He, he wants us to enjoy this, his beautiful creation, the wonder of, of, of beautiful music and whatever. I mean, art, there's so many amazing things in this world that we can get out of life. But the fool doesn't ever completely enjoy it to the fullest extent because they've placed themselves over God. And when they do that, they short circuit the whole thing. And they may live for something that's good and it may bring them some temporary benefit for a little season. But eventually, flies get into the, into the perfume and ruin the whole batch. So what he's saying here is not money is the answer, money is everything. He's not saying that. What he's, in, in the actual original, he's just saying money is the most versatile. You know what? You, you behave wisely 
you follow the Lord, you, you live a wise life, you're going to make it to the feast, you're going to have things in the end shape up and, and work out the way they're supposed to work out. Eventually they will. And you know what? You're not going to be, you're not going to be strapped for cash. You're actually going to have the money you need. And, and, and I mean, you know how it is, right? When you're getting a gift, you know, let's just, just think through this with me. I mean, holidays are coming up. You want to give somebody a gift. You need to get somebody a gift. Um, the foolish thing to do is just to run over to Target and enforce it and just find the best thing you can find, right? Because then you end up buying them something that they don't really want, right? And they, they open it and they smile and they say, thank you. And really they just wish, wow, I could have just taken $50 cash <laughs> because then I could have bought what I actually really wanted, right? <laughs> I know a lot of you are smirking. I see a lot of people like elbowing and... and some people are great at giving gifts, and I'm not talking about that at all. I'm not talking about the people who really know what to do. Props to you. You people are amazing. You know, like, you buy the perfect, you know, concert ticket, you know, something they would have never bought themselves, and, and you just knock it out of the park with the gift, right? Like, that's, that's one thing. That's totally separate. I'm just talking about buying a lame gift because, you know what, I got to get them something. So, oh, yeah, they like that TV show. I'll get them this mug. But you really got them you know, the, the bad season of the TV show and, and it wasn't a mug that they ever really want. They're just going to re-gift re it later, right? They would have much preferred just to get a gift card and then they could have gone out and gotten what they wanted. Money is versatile. That's all he's really saying here. And when you begin with the fear of the Lord and when you are wise, that's where he's going to take you. All right, now... That's the whole chapter. <laughs> That's the entire chapter. And I, I don't want to end right there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here, but I want you to see how you can transform from foolishness to wisdom. I mean, we did have that last verse, verse 20, which, which is one more piece of wisdom. Thank you, Solomon. Even your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice and some winged creature will tell the matter. Again, please don't over, be overly literal here with Solomon. Cut him some slack. Is what he's saying is, when you say something, if you're a wise person, just know that whatever you say, even if it was just to one person, confidentially, hey, I'm going to tell you this and, I, and just don't say anything to anybody, just between me and you. If you're a wise person, you know what you know. Somehow, some way, a little bird is going to take that and pass it on, and that word will get out, right? So there's your last piece of wisdom. But how can we really get, get over all the fools around us? Because, I mean, we don't want to live foolish lives, right? We want to be wise. It begins with fearing the Lord. But turn over to Psalm 111. Some of you are already there. I want to read this chapter to you. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his righteous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. 
He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. And the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I just want to let the text speak for itself there. We have a great God. We have a God who is worthy of all our honor and praise. And if you want to live a life that is away from the pack of fools, if you want to separate yourself from all those foolish decisions, if you want to start making more wise decisions, it begins with fearing the Lord. And then it, and then it, grows the more that you look at his faithfulness the more you see his mercy just just follow through this whole chapter I just read I mean this is a chapter that I read it once but please go back and read it again read it again and again and again because this gives you the formula and the blueprint to actually live a life with the wisdom of Jesus Christ I love that verse there where it says, he sent redemption to his people. How did God send redemption to you? He did it through his son, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago. And Jesus Christ is wisdom, personified. So we have been given the greatest gift, God's son, who came into this world full of foolishness, the one man who lived a sinless life, a perfectly holy life, set apart, distinct, different than anyone else who's ever came before him, who will ever come, or who will ever come after him. And Jesus died for your foolishness. He died for my foolishness. And that's the only way we can conquer foolishness when we know Jesus Christ and we start living for him rather than our own foolish devices. Don't be a fool. Don't live for yourself. Don't talk like you know it all. Don't push people away by endlessly opening your mouth. Look above and beyond what you can see and feel right now, cast your eyes over the sun to the Son Jesus Christ and find wisdom through Him. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.